Do you sleep too well? Do you find yourself unafraid to go in your creepy basement? Are you too comfortable in the dark? Then come to Haunted Worlds of Fun and get the fear scared back into you. On select nights, September 16th through October 29th, we'll frighten you so bad, you'll never turn the lights off again. Side effects may include sore throat from screaming, elevated heart rate, fear, hiccups, anxiety, hives, sweaty palms, and raised neck hair. Tickets as low as $29.99 for a very limited time, only at worldsoffun.com. Setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Hey, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks for joining me on Burning Issues. As some of you know, I'm a professor of psychology at the University at Albany. I'm the author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana. I write the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch, and I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. Today, we'll have a discussion on adolescent cannabis use and academic performance with Dr. Dustin Pardini. Dr. Pardini is at the University of Pittsburgh uh, Department of Psychiatry. Thanks a whole lot for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before I jump into this new paper of yours, I was just curious if you could give us a feel for how you ended up doing adolescent research with cannabis. Um, well, I work as part of a long-standing longitudinal study that's been going on since uh, 1986. Uh, and what we have done is we collected data over the course of their lifespan up until age 30, uh, once a year, and we asked them about drug use, delinquency, all sorts of adjustment in their life. And once they hit adolescence um, and started escalating into marijuana use, we wanted to see what impact that would have on cognitive functioning. And so we got a grant to look at various areas, and one of the areas that we were particularly interested in was academic achievement. Yeah, and let me jump in right there, actually, Doctor. I I was hoping to to see uh, what would inspire you to kind of take a look at cannabis and academic functioning in particular. Well, there's been a lot of debate about the long-term impact of cannabis use on the brain, um, and in particular, uh, focused attention, intelligence, and there's been some studies to suggest that adolescents uh, that use marijuana heavily will end up having decrements in cognitive functioning over time. But most of those studies focused on heavy marijuana use, and that's very abnormal, And so we wanted to look at more uh, recreational levels of use that we see in our sample and see if we had any indication that the kids were having problems uh, with academic functioning given the fact that it's tightly closed, uh, tightly knit with uh, cognition. So these are not particularly heavily involved cannabis users? No, we wanted to focus on uh, early adolescence because the... uh, Theory is that the brain is still developing during that phase, and it's really those kids that start before the age of approximately 17 uh, that are susceptible to having cognitive impairments later on from heavy use. Um, Most of the studies that have looked at this issue have found very little evidence of uh, decrements in cognitive functioning for people that use in uh, 
late adolescence, early adulthood in terms of their initiation. So let me just see if I follow. What you're saying essentially is really early in life, it's much more likely to develop a problem than even post-age 17 or so. Yeah, we don't know the exact timing, but that's that's the theory. I'm not, um, and that's what uh, some of the researchers have found indications of, um, but there's a lot of caveats to that study. I'm curious, this this is reminiscent of the old stuff in the 70s from uh, the amotivational syndrome idea, and I never really uh, found the evidence for that particularly compelling. Do you feel like this is something that smacks of that idea or is really trying to dispute it? Well, I think the amotivational syndrome is slightly different. That's more uh, in line with kids being so stoned that they become lazy, they become uh, uninterested in school and uh, therefore kind of disengage. The more recent stuff is not focused on motivation as much, uh, but basically damage to the brain that causes problems with working memory, causes decrements in IQ. Of course, disentangling that, especially when you're giving kids an IQ test and maybe they're not motivated to do well um, versus they're not able to do well is, is kind of a tricky thing to tease apart. But most people have gone away from the amotivational syndrome and have focused purely on uh, its impact on cognitive processing rather than motivation. That's superb. I really appreciate you clearing that up. And then the bottom line here is you don't have heavy daily users. Can you give me just kind of a rough feel for how much uh, this sample is using cannabis on average? Well, the, the thing was we really focused on, uh, and this is different than any study that's uh, been done before, we focused on within individual change over time. So we actually started the study and started the, the analysis of the study um, at age 12, and prior to that time point, kids had not used very much cannabis. And then we tracked them until about age 16, and we looked at as they started initiating cannabis use, did you see drops in their own kind of prior levels of academic performance? And by the age of 16, you know, most of the kids had initiated maybe, you know, one to, uh, there was a few kids that were above like monthly use. So that was kind of the intensity we were seeing it was like 12 uh, times a year. We had very few kids that were, had gone up to uh, once a week uh, by age 16. So most of our kids were kind of experimenters, uh, typical what you see with national uh, norm studies. And as I understand it, you've got quite the sample size here. Yeah, well, we did it actually um, across two studies. So there's a, a sister study, we call it, of the Pittsburgh Youth Study that was started later. And that was a larger sample of girls. So the, the youth study, which was all boys, uh, is close to 500. And the girls' study is... Um, 2,300 girls. And so both studies are, are pretty large, uh, but the girls' study really had a lot of power to detect any effects if there were any there. Can you kind of give us in a nutshell how it all panned out? Yes. What we were interested in is two things. One is looking at what we called more acute impact of marijuana use on academic functioning and also uh, attention. And so we looked at during years where they used cannabis, were their grades uh, via their parents' report of their grades going down relative to before they started? So that was one thing we were interested in. 
we were also interested in kind of the prolonged effects of marijuana use. So we looked at once they stopped using marijuana or reported stopping using marijuana in the next year, were they still having these decrements relative to their pre-initiation? So it sounds like there's a, a period where they're not using, you kind of get a baseline. Some folks start using, you can get a feel for the impact of cannabis itself, and then a subset seem to quit, and you're sort of looking for recovery. Yeah, you're looking at kind of this waxing and waning pattern of use over time, which you see a lot of that variability in these kids uh, where they'll even, you know, they, one year they might be using pretty heavily and then they'll back off uh, in the next year. So how did it pan out? So we really found very little evidence for a very acute effect of marijuana use on academic problems, both in the boys' study and the girls' study. So in the years they were using marijuana, we didn't see that their parents were saying that they had reductions in their academic performance. Now, it's important to note that we did see effects before we controlled for a number of other things that are going on in their lives. I really wanted to... I really wanted to jump in on that because I, I think that was just a stellar addition to the study is you've really examined some amazing potential influences that a lot of other studies don't look at. Could you elaborate on what those are? Yeah, I mean, we focused on numerous different things. Um, changes in the family, like uh, their moving residences or the family's income or fluctuating, which could be stressful. Um, you know, the composition of the family, were they in a single-parent family, and that was fluctuating over time, their neighborhood characteristics, the kind of peers they were hanging out with, were they hanging out with delinquent or deviant peers, um, and also uh, their conduct problems. And by conduct problems, I mean, were they kids that were also fighting, stealing, and so was marijuana use just a symptom of a a larger delinquency pattern, and, and those kids were actually not doing well at school uh, in school once they started down that road. That's great, Dr. Pardini. We just need to uh, take a break and hear a minute from our sponsors. Thanks for joining us on Burning Issues. We'll be back to talk more to Dr. Dustin Pardini about cannabis use and academic performance in adolescence. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at KarcherInsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R Insurance.com. Contact Kieran at Karcher Insurance at 702-292-2909. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. 
If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. It's time to check in with Doc Robb and the concierge for better living. We take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. The Concierge for Better Living will help informed, intrigued, and interested listeners like you make better choices for yourselves and your loved ones. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hi, this is Dr. Mitch Earlywine on Burning Issues. Uh, we're joined by Dr. Dustin Pardini, and we've just been talking about adolescent marijuana use and academic functioning. As you mentioned, we got a bunch of confounds uh, potentially explaining this uh, finding about how ma- marijuana use relates to academic functioning, and you were just elaborating on those. I was hoping you might pick up on that. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's really important to take into account because um, the marijuana use is not really happening in isolation. And uh, you see a lot of other things going on as kids are using marijuana that can impact academic achievement. And it's really important to take into account those kind of waxing and waning changes in the kid's life because they might actually be causing both the marijuana use and also their uh, declines that you're seeing and how well they're doing at school. So tell me, Dr. Pardini, do you think some of the previous work suggesting cannabis links to academic functioning might have failed to take some of these things into account? Well, there's a couple different issues. Um, there's what we call self-selection um, that's hard to control for. So that is um, kids that are going to do poorly in school um, are also kids that are going to start using marijuana. And that kind of causes this difference you see between marijuana users and non-marijuana users in terms of their achievement. We tried to overcome that by looking at within individual change. And it's a kind of a subtle concept, but it's an important concept because you're really looking at as the kid waxes and wanes into and out of marijuana use, do you see that parallel waxing and waning in their academic achievement. Now, because you focus on that within individual change, nothing between you and I can cause what we're seeing in terms of change within the individual. So that, that's, that's one thing that we did. It's, it's a subtle thing, but it actually controls for the fact that marijuana users and non-marijuana users differ on a whole host of characteristics. That sounds great, and it really does sound like uh, that's a novelty as far as this study is concerned, something that previous work really hasn't done. I'm familiar with that literature, too, where you do find uh, folks who are cannabis users who have low grades actually had low grades uh, back when they were you know, uh, in the fourth grade or something like that. So it may not be as causal so much as uh, another indicator. So I really appreciate you guys taking that much care. Yeah, I, and, and that's an important issue to take into account in all of these studies, and it's a, it's a major limitation because you have a whole host of different things that came before the marijuana use besides poor academic achievement, such as their parents' uh, achievement. You have genetic factors that could be influencing both deviant behavior and disengagement from school. So this actually eliminates all of those as causal factors because they can't explain why an individual is having these waxing and waning changes in their academic achievement over time. 
And when I look at these data, it looks like there really was a, a significant effect before you took these things into account. But once you uh, account for this other substance use, peer delinquency and things like that, the effects really start to disappear. Yeah, they do. Um, there was effects before we took into account other things that are changing in the child's life. Um, and that, that completely wiped out the effect that we were seeing. But even before we controlled for those effects, we were seeing very little impact once the kids stopped using marijuana. And I think that's an important point because there's this fear that once kids engage in marijuana use, it impacts their brain and it's going to have sustained effects on their ability to function well. And we actually saw very little t uh, evidence of that even before we controlled for all of these different factors. So it sounds like recovery is definitely possible. Well, yes, but you've got to take into account the fact that we were focusing on what we call low-level or experimental use primarily. So these kids were using at most typically uh, once a month. Now, that's, that's a lot of times what you see with kids below the age of 17 in terms of their intensity of use. But there still might be an effect if you looked at the minority of kids that are engaging in, like, weekly use, maybe two, three times a week, up to seven days a week. So it sounds so we, like we can't generalize to the heavy users from these data, but at least uh, light users, experimenters, uh, it, it's not a, a huge impact on this academic functioning. That's right. And I think um, a lot of this, we were interested in looking at that because it really has implications for a much larger pool of youth. And typically these kids are clumped together with non-users in the studies uh, that compare them with heavy users. So we really didn't know much about what the impact of this more experimental use was because these kids were kind of ignored and clumped together with kids that remained completely abstinent. That's superb and good to know. I do find that the, the experimenters do get lumped in with the non-users, and it's, it's reassuring to see that uh, there's a way to look at these data like that. You also uh, had a dependent variable on uh, attention. Could you give us a lowdown on that? Yeah, so a lot of the studies have focused on performance um, on task where they're at a computer, they're asked um, to focus their attention on some kind of um, compelling or hard task, but it has, it's things like watching and, and hitting a button when you see an X and not hitting it when you see an O and looking at their scores on those types of tasks. And th that involves attention, but it's really not clear, does that impact your daily life even if you see drops in those scores? So what we were really interested in was perceptions of other people in their environment, and particularly their parents, because their parents came into contact with them on a regular basis. So we asked their parents to rate how often they had problems sustaining their attention, completing tasks, um, did they seem easily distracted, uh, to see could you, did, did an objective observer that may not have known whether or not the kid was using marijuana report that they seemed more inattentive in the years where they were using marijuana versus not. Superb. How did that turn out? Well, again, we saw very little evidence um, in the boys' sample that marijuana use was causing um, decrements in parent-reported attention problems. When we looked at the girls, 
There was an effect, in it, but it was very small, and it was comparable to what we call a Likert scale point. So it, we had like 10 questions, and on, basically on one of the questions, if your parent went from sometimes to all the time, then that was basically the, the magnitude of the effect that we were seeing in the girl sample only. So not a huge effect size, but something that was statistically significant given this large sample. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about uh, 2,500 girls, and it was a very, very small effect. It, you wouldn't have been able to see it in uh, the boys' study pers- because it was um, a third of the, the size. So you have to really be aware, and this is where scientists need to be very careful in explaining things to the public about the magnitude of the effect that you're seeing. I really appreciate you pointing that out. I know, you know, the National Organization for Reform on Marijuana Laws is really big on making sure we keep cannabis out of the hands of kids. Despite these relatively small effects, uh, where are you as far as uh, encouraging or discouraging youth use? Um, Well, I I don't think that I would encourage youth to use marijuana. Um, I think that I'm kind of... uh, trying to give information to parents uh, about the realistic impact that marijuana use can have uh, on kids' behavior and their um, academic functioning. What we do know is that marijuana use tends to be coupled with a lot of other um, behaviors that are concerning um, in some kids, and those are behaviors that I actually am more concerned about, such as stealing, fighting, um, you know, hanging around with delinquent peers because those factors we know are more strongly related to problems down the road and a lot of those offenses are, are things that you can get arrested for. So it sounds like parents need not uh, consider cannabis experimentation as a giant catastrophe, but it might be a way to open up a conversation about other problems they're having. Yeah, I think parents, I mean, it's it, I consider it the same way that uh, you consider alcohol use in a minor. Um, parents don't go around advocating that their kids go and use alcohol because there can be um, negative things that happen as a result of it. Um, and we've only focused on a few things here. So I'm not saying that there's not other problems that may develop. And some youth actually do become um, dependent on marijuana and use it on a daily basis. And again, we're not focusing um, on that per se, but I think parents need to be aware of the level of use that their kids are engaging in. Are there going to be more waves of data from this same crew? Do you get a chance to look at these folks as they age? Yeah, so we actually have funding from NIDA. This study was funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse. So the federal government is actually funding this study. They're very interested in this topic. And we've followed these kids now into their early 30s, and we're looking at the longer-term impact of heavy chronic marijuana use on adult adjustment. And so we're looking at a number of different factors, such as their um, income level, whether or not they're employed, um, their social relationships, um, are they more likely to engage in other types of criminal behavior and get arrested, Um, And the nice thing about our study, like I mentioned before, is we have all of these factors that we can account for that may be actually causing the the outcomes that we're looking at that happen prior to the onset of use. That sounds superb. 
I really appreciate you uh, going on into all this detail. Is there anything you want to add or let listeners know about where you're located, this data set, funding, anything like that that we can spread the word about? You know, we're at the, the University of Pittsburgh. Um, we have longitudinal data, and it's called the Pittsburgh Youth Study and the Pittsburgh Girls Study. We've published a number of different articles on substance use. If you go to Google Scholar um, and search Pittsburgh Youth Study or Pittsburgh Girls Study, you can see a number of different articles that we've written on a wide variety of topics, including substance use. Um, and so interested readers can go to and find a lot of those articles and are welcome to contact me at the University of Pittsburgh um, if they want copies. I really appreciate it. This is Dr. Mitch Earlywine on Burning Issues, and we've been talking with Dustin Pardini. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, it's been great. Thank you. This is Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks again for joining us on Burning Issues. We'll be right back after these messages to talk about self-compassion and the art of activism. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at InternetMarketingNinjas.com. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network, CannabisRadio.com. Candid. Captivating. Compelling. Welcome to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Listen in as Dr. Dina, medical marijuana pioneer and inspiration for the award-winning TV series, Weeds, shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, I'm back. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. I want to talk about self-compassion in the art of activism. This segment is devoted to helping all our listeners take a little extra care of themselves. I've got a controversial idea I'd like to share with you. I'm afraid you're not going to like it, but please give me a chance. I have no doubt that you're busy, too busy, in fact, to sleep. Sleep seems like a waste of time, like something only weaklings might do. In the United States, we only seem to sleep if we absolutely must. People brag about how little sleep they get, as if it implied extended vitality or longer appendages. I'd like to entertain another idea. Sleep can be fun. Sure, we know it's supposed to be good for you, and everything that's supposed to be good for you is a drag. But sleep is fun. 
Wouldn't you rather be in bed right now? Slipping into the smooth sheets, warm pillow against the cheek, cozy comforter comforting shoulders. It's magnificent. Then the delight rolls in like some heavenly fog with the pitter-patter of light rain. We get that twilight of consciousness, that set of moments when time spans out like some multicolored vista. I love when I'm not sure if my eyes are open or closed, if I'm stirring or slumbering, if I'm me or something much more grand and tranquil. Yeah, sleep. Wow. So we all know when we're sleep deprived, or maybe we don't. Sometimes we get on these long stretches without enough sleep and think we might be depressed or distressed or diseased when all we really need is some time in bed. But it's hard to make it a priority. The National Sleep Foundation recommends at least 8 to 10 hours for teens and 7 to 9 hours for adults. Some people hear these numbers and cringe. So here's a simple plan. An easy idea for all those artists and activists. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Not sleep for 15 minutes, but go to bed 15 minutes earlier than usual. And note, this is not about lying around longer in the morning like some truculent teen. Whether you get eight hours a night right now or five, a little voice likely squeaked when you heard the idea of 15 minutes more sleep. I mean, before those other voices started in with all their chatter about how you don't need it and it wouldn't matter anyway and you can't pull it off. I mean that other voice, the little one, the one that pitched a bit higher, the one that's been in your head a little longer, the one that said, please, oh, please. So give it a try. Hop in bed 15 minutes earlier each night for a while. And when you notice the ideas flowing a bit easier and the conversations running a bit nicer and the days ending on a higher note, you won't have to wonder why. Who knows what a little extra sleep might create. So thanks for joining me on Burning Issues. I'm Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart. Let the data be your guide. The opinions expressed on this Cannabis Radio Network program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff or management of Cannabis Radio Network. Any rebroadcast or retransmission without proper consent of the Cannabis Radio Network is prohibited.